music, ghost dances, manual labor, and aphids. Tune in to hear how those were essential elements in the unfolding drama happening in the church planting fields of the Puget Sound in the late 1800s. I'm your host, Jody Sparger, coming at you from the unceded territories of the Squamish, Musqueam, and Tsleil-Waututh people. I'm still an uninvited guest and settler in these lands. And this is Remembering Indigenous Teachers of the Jesus Way. Last week, we learned how the hops harvest in the Puget Sound region created miniature cities that would spring up inhabited by indigenous peoples from all along coastal, what we now know of as British Columbia and Washington State. And we heard a bit about how those temporary cities were a space where there was openness to the gospel and a lively, thriving, itinerant ministry by a woman from the Shimshian Nation whose name was never set down, though her skills and abilities as a church planter evangelist um, were well lauded. This week, we'll turn to some of the skills and strategies employed by this evangelist, teacher, church planter, as well as the conditions that created a spirit of receptivity to the message that she brought We'll find out what came of these efforts. Join us now here in week two as we explore ghost dances, hymns, and aphids. Welcome. We're glad you're back. Last week, we met the unnamed Shimshian evangelist, laboring in the hops fields of the Puget Sound. And while her colleague, the Reverend Ludlow, remarked on the power of her preaching, he also remarked on the effectiveness of her teaching the whole person and the whole community. Certainly, she spoke to the minds and the hearts of those who turned up for evening revival meetings. But importantly, she also joined the workers in the fields and was allowed by the employers to do so. They remarked that the people were all the more productive when she worked among them. So she moved among the people and uh, prayed for the sick. She taught Bible stories to the children who joined their parents in the fields. She would disciple another preparing them to bring good news home to their village or would offer wisdom to yet another facing a decision in the community. Her ministry looked more like Jesus's than many church planters of the modern era as she moved among the people in the rhythms of life. She did what she could while the workers were assembled, but there was a desire for more. Once the camps closed down and people returned to their communities, they heard tales of what the people had been learning in the fields. 
Communities begged for her to be sent to their villages to teach the ways of Jesus. In fact, we know of her abilities simply because Ludlow attempted to raise funds to send her out for exactly these purposes. But it seems that those funds were never raised. Despite the refusal of settler churches to send missionaries to their communities, indigenous peoples continued to find new strategies to learn and to bring back the message of Jesus to their communities. We know of one contingent of seven canoes that came down, paddling down the coast to meet with Baptists as they gathered in Victoria for their annual meeting. They requested that a missionary be sent, and when the assembly voted and decided not to send a missionary, they insisted that they be taught a hymn in the Chinook language that they could bring back to their village to instruct and encourage the faithful to pass on this message of Jesus. There are notes from that assembly where some grumbled that it took an awfully long time to sing this hymn over and over again. This gathering of hymns uh, was a common strategy. We know of a young convert named Joseph who worked in the hops fields who would ask each year as he returned to the fields for a song, a hymn he could bring back to his village. But these opportunities would not continue for much longer. Before we find out what's going to bring these conditions to an abrupt end, let's look back and ask, what put 140 people in a canoe on a two-week journey to ask for a song? You were listening there to the late Reverend Dr. Richard Twiss, who in his book, Rescuing Theology from the Cowboys, recounted some fascinating stories about how gospel had come pre-missionaries to the region that we're talking about. There is evidence of this widespread revival sweeping through the region of what we now call British Columbia and Washington in the mid-1820s. These spiritual awakenings were fueled by visions and dreams telling spiritual leaders in indigenous communities across these regions to prepare for white-skinned strangers who would bring a book of life. Now, at least two young men from the Spokane and Kootenai tribes were selected to go to Red River, what is now Winnipeg, to learn about this book and the teachings that were in it. There is evidence then as they returned that this teaching of lessons of the Christian scriptures spread as far north as Stewart Lake, which is between Prince George and Kitimat in modern-day B.C., It spread from the Spokane area to that region in less than four years. 
Now, in these oral cultures, the message or any important message was often spread in song and in dances that related the important information. Those dances became known as prophet dances or ghost dances as it regards uh, the spread of the gospel. Now, all of this happened a full decade before white missionaries would reach some of these regions and was perhaps a factor in the people's eagerness to learn the message of the gospel. Sadly, these highly contextualized forms of Christian discipleship were soon outlawed across Canada due to misunderstandings by white missionaries who could not conceive of the idea that perhaps the revelation of who Jesus was had preceded them. With the arrival of aphids, the need for migrant workers would come to an abrupt and sudden halt. By 1900, Puget Sound was no longer a viable location for growing hops. Baptist historian Margaret Thompson would say many years later, concerning the Baptist work among the Indian people, it was a period of ups and downs, of experimental and devoted service, and in the end, an unexplained lapse of interest and concern, which closed down a work so bravely begun. Next week, join us as we shift our focus to Manitoba and meet the Reverend Henry Prince and learn of his efforts along the lakes of Winnipeg and Manitoba. See you next week.